As I said, Commencement Chapel is always a fascinating time where we welcome new faculty, and as you heard, we have quite a few, where Tyndale's twofold mission, both educationally and transformationally, is focused. It's all focused to this end, to students. When the faculty and the students are flooding the halls again with noise and conversation, we that have been here through summer school, and there are students here, there are over 800 students here during the summer, but it's just not the same to have all of you here. It's a lot noisier, and it's a lot more fun. And we who are on campus year-round, I think in September especially, get just a bit of rush because it represents two cohorts of Bachelor of Education students that are on campus. Seminary and UC classes are buzzing. Admission counselors are smiling. Campus operations gets to see how the new classrooms are functioning after a summer of work, and it was just right to the end, and you walked into a classroom that was finished, if you had seen it maybe six days before, if you see a campus operation person around, you should just shake their hands and think, how did you pull it off? But they did. Grass is now completed. Listen, I need more than that for this. The grass is now completed. You have no idea how long I have waited for that because I've promised every incoming class this for the last four years. <laughs> Very few of you will have any memory of Ballyconner, the old campus. This is a new day. And you have come to a special place. Starting in January, we will be celebrating 125 years as an educational postgraduate institution. And we'll have all sorts of announcements that are exciting about, about that celebration. And Tyndale's history is a fascinating story. And I would encourage you to read about it on our website and to read about the person to whom this school is named, William Tyndale. And when you graduate, and you will graduate, repeat after me, we will graduate. Let me hear that again. You will understand that this is not just an educational accomplishment, but a transformational call to live a faithful life of difference. To live responsibly as followers of Jesus, absolutely sold out to the idea of what it might be to be light in God's call on your lives. And our alumni, if, as you meet them over these next years, will show you the way. They have been doing this for over 120 years. You are living and studying in one of the most, I think, most exciting times in history to be a follower of Jesus Christ in North America. I know that may seem strange, but this passage in Mark chapter 12 gives you a true sense of what it will require of you to live and to lean into this time as a person of faith. It's a window, if you want, into our mandate as a university and as a seminary. 
Mark is telling this story as a young acolyte and follower of Jesus. He's just excited about Jesus. And if you read the Gospel of Mark, you will sense a breathlessness. He, he loves to use words like, and then, and immediately. And this creating of a sense of immediacy throughout the Gospel caused one person to call this Gospel the Go Gospel. If you read Mark carefully, you might think that Jesus and his disciples were always in track pants and in running shoes, running from one thing to the next. And now Mark brings up this encounter with the religious and the politically powerful of the day. It was read this morning. From verse 13 on, a wave and after wave of religious shock troops go after Jesus, questioning his authority, uh, whether to pay tribute to Caesar, relentlessly pursuing him and some flaw in his argument that they can use against them. And it culminates in verse 18 with when they kind of give their last shot out of their quiver of arrows of questions. And they are exhausted. And Jesus has stood up the test. And then Mark puts it this way. And then, I love this line, the Sadducees came. I love that line. Mark's making a point. He's trying to portray a feeling, an emotion in the moment. Here is Jesus, his Jesus, still on his toes, ready for the next question from those who have been sparring with him with questions and attempts and verbal traps. But instead, they fail and they bring in a fresh troop of questioners. Then the Sadducees came. It appears this was the strategy all along. The powers that be wanted to continue the onslaught after Jesus had been worn down. And now they bring out the heavy hitters and they've arrived. And they give their best if you read the story again. In truth, what they really do is they expose their intellectual arrogance with absurd theological questions designed to discredit Jesus' position on the resurrection of the dead and the immortality of the soul. This is not the time at a commencement chapel for me to talk about those theological questions. You can ask your faculty, your professors. What you need to know is they just keep coming at him, and he keeps giving it back. If you want a reason for why you need to develop a Christian mind and why this is the place you should have come. Here it is. Jesus' answers to the Sadducees are tight. They are clear. He is not threatened. He is secured in his place. He knows what's going on. And this inquisition, he ends with this wonderful little dig in verse 27, a dig at the Sadducees and the foundations of their faith. He says this, I love this too. This is one of my favorite encounters. He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. Mark doesn't say how the crowd responded, but nobody especially the genuinely self-righteous, like to be exposed. They hate being made to feel silly and figuratively naked in the middle of a crowd. But then 
the encounter continues. One person in the crowd, it says a scribe, which might mean another Sadducee, whoever he is, he appears to have been impressed with the answers that Jesus gave and the skill of Jesus' argument. And in verse 28, Mark describes this scribe, he says, as being impressed, noticing that Jesus had given them good answers. It's Mark's way of signaling to you that these man's questions are different. He's not asking the question in order to catch Jesus in a theological error. He doesn't want to embarrass him. He is honestly wondering. He really wants to know the answer to what he asks. It appears to come from his heart of all the commandments, which is the most important. He really wants to know. This is not the question of someone who wants to know what the minimal standards are to be a believer. How many times do I have to forgive? This is the desire to understand the call of God in its simplest and most profound and graspable way. The scribe, if you want, wants the simple goods and he wants to live it out. And this encounter becomes one of the most important Jesus encounters I think that you can find in the Gospels. And it also leads the scholar of the law, we're told later, to the threshold of faith. The scribe wants to know, what's the most important of all the commandments? Jesus' answer is quick and clear. It comes out of the Deuteronomy passage that was read this morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he answers, Jesus says again, the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandments greater than these. These were the words that the devout Jew was to quote every morning. These were the words that the devout Jew tied to their foreheads and to their arms as a symbol of memory of what they were called to do and sadly what they often forgot. It was not new information to the scribe and frankly, it shouldn't be new to us either. So it's no wonder that the scribe affirms what he said. Well said, teacher, he says. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no one other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbors as yourself is more important than any burnt offerings and sacrifices. Jesus saw something in this answer. And he says... You are not far from the kingdom of God. And then it says, and from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. You have come to this place, this strange place called Tyndale. You hopefully have brought an inquisitive mind, a passionate desire for God, or even maybe at least a passive but intrigued sense of being. This is the place that says it is not simply your intellectual journey or even your skill and development that is important. We believe that our, your character, your spirituality, your emotional development are equally important and they need to be focused on. 
The greatest of all commands is a call to love God with everything that you have and everything that you are. At Tyndale, it's an absolute devotion to the development of the mind. To learn to think for yourself, to shape a foundation of intellectual tools that will enable you to live faithfully and integrously in whatever God calls you to do. In the Seminary View book, we call it Pursuing Wisdom. In the University View book, we call it Redefining Community and Learning. But the development of the mind is not enough. Loving God with everything we have gives place and priority to shaping the inner places of your life as well, the heart and the soul. In a world where it appears that truth is up for grabs and that character and compassion are less important than ideological positioning, it's a time for people of faith to reoccupy a higher ground. So hear this. You will learn at this university and at this graduate school of theology that to make our love for God with all our heart, with all our soul and our mind complete, you will also have to recognize the other, to love your neighbor as much as you love God and yourself. Righteousness without compassion is love, is cold and hard. And compassion and love without righteousness is careless and frankly, intellectually dishonest. We will want you to learn to hold these two things in a kind of sacred tension, where compassion and integrity of a living actually are evidential affirmations that true faith actually exists. Loving God with your whole self claws at you. It seeks to expand your world rather than make it smaller. It's unafraid of questions that might be uncomfortable or even disruptive of the little boxes that you've lived in up to this time. Sometimes it isn't even reasonable. It's just full of imagination and passion and the Spirit of God. And that's why those who argue for doctrinal purity and treat people different than themselves with injustice and hatred are so out of touch with what God's intent is. There is a strong implication here in what Jesus says, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself, is a proof that God is God and that if we love this God with all our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength, and if we have truly experienced that in our own lives, it will have relational consequences. John's letter picks it up. How can you say you love God and not love others? I have my latest John Wesley quote from James Peddler. Where are you, James? Thank you. Wesley said, without love, all learning is but splendid ignorance and pompous folly. I love that. <laughs> Little cheer for John Wesley. <laughs> well, that was a little cheer. One of the most wonderful sections of this passage is Jesus' affirmation of the scribe. After he, the scribe acknowledges the grasp of the two laws, he says, 
you are not far from the kingdom of God. Each day of your education here will begin with choices. Are you open? Are you open? Are you open to growing and to learning, to questioning? Are you open to allowing your mind to be stretched and maybe even at some points be uncomfortable? Are you willing to live more and more deeply into the promise of God's love on your life? Are you open to learning to think? Are you open to being formed in your character in such a way as that you are peculiarly out of sync in the world that God has placed you? Are you willing to live the particularity of faith that dwells on things that really matter? What is true? What is noble? What is right? What is pure? What is lovely? What is admirable? What is excellent? And what is praiseworthy? And if you are, then welcome to the journey and welcome to the Tyndale experience. Welcome to a university and a seminary that wants to shape the people that will live a peculiar and a particular mission of influence in the world. People who want to live the challenge from this passage, not only because Jesus said it, but because Jesus did it. Welcome to Tyndale.